Ahoy hoy. Ahoy hoy. How are you doing? I am doing very well overall. Unlike season four, I'm taking my time. I'm not going to rush through how I'm feeling. I'm going to get there eventually. How about you? How are you feeling? I'm on a bit of a deadline, so. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You've your 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 crunch time for yep. Rachel Town. All right, Rachel Town, crunch time. Why are we called Yum Yum Podcast? Because you hate me, and <laughs> I love you. I married you. We're a married couple. We're not strangers who met through the internet. No, that's not our particular gimmick. No, we're not old friends from college years. No, that's not a gimmick either. We did We're meet- called Yum Yum. Oh, yeah. Because of Star Trek Discovery, uh-huh. there was a particular line uttered in season two, and that line was Yum Yum, and it captivated you, mind. It captivated you, mind, body, soul, everything. Everything became yum yum. It did, because that line was so fantastical and absurd that we had to bring it with us. And we you demanded. I, I not only did I demand it, but you accepted. And we bring it with us everywhere we go. And we are talking about Babylon Five. We are rewatching it, revisiting it, and reviewing it. And we have come to the end of the fourth. Season. Then why are we here? We're here to take a moment of reflection. Look back at what we've gone through. Talk about the high points, the low points, the things that have changed. Go over the character, the characters, and what we're hoping to get out of the fifth season as well on our rewatch. But I have some important news. We've had an ongoing. Journey with being the only I Australian. We were done with this. There's actual real You're making me. Do you want to hear the developments or no? You're making me sound I, like I, such a wet I blanket. Heard you are a wet blanket. I don't need to make you sound like it. You are one. Suck it. Suck it. Suck it. I think that's your role. So we are here to tell everyone some important news. We are the only Australian Babylon 5 podcast in all of existence. I spoke to God himself, and he said, Ryan, I've tried to trick you with parallel versions that speak different languages, hiding podcasts on different planets, Germans, I've tried to trick you with them, and I even tried to mislead you by making you think there was an Australian Babylon 5 podcast from 100 years ago. God deceived me to test me, to test how vigilant I was. But get this, and Rachel, this isn't a bit. This is not a bit what I'm going to tell you now. I did not tell you this until the recording. I'm I'm probably not going to believe you anyway. I got an Instagram message on our... Uh, Instagram page, of course, yum yum pod at G- uh, no, yum yum pod at Instagram. You better read a it person, fast. I'm I'm checking. A, a person called Max mailed in <laughs> to tell us, "Hey guys, 
love the pod, but I wanted to give you a head up that I'll be making a single five-minute Babylon 5 podcast from my joint in Wagga Wagga. You guys will still be the number one podcast in Australia, but won't be the only one. Dot, dot, dot. Soz. But in all seriousness... I I could be, uh, but in all seriousness, I could be stuffed, and I love your work. Keep them coming. So this person threatens to make a Babylon Five podcast to to spite us and to to take away our one glory. And you know what this made me think of? We've lost Who the fuck focus. Wants to live in Wagga Wagga? No, Wagga Wagga is a great location. We don't want to bash any of our listeners it's who a, live Australia's in Wagga Wagga. Australia's largest. Inland city, if I remember correctly. And this is why you come to the only Australian Babylon 5 <laughs> podcast for these facts. But hey, this made me think. Sometimes I need to use my humanities knowledge. And I'm a human too. But we have lost focus of what was important. We've been blinded by our damn. We? Yes, by our damn Australian pride. It's been your quest. No, no, no. But it's you've... been your... No, 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 no. I refuse to be an accomplice. I refuse. That's why you're a co-host instead. <laughs> I'm on a roll, baby. I'm on a roll. But you're my point... My... taking your job do, really do you seriously. Hear... And I am taking it seriously because I no, want to do it. Remember what your job is. My job is podcast host. What was in your vows? Oh, Podcasting wasn't in your vows. Oh, to give you yum yum every day. No, that wasn't there either. I don't see any evidence saying it wasn't. I have your vows. Not on hand. I do, actually. She kept Fuck them. you. She tattooed them. No, no. But my point was no. we've lost focus on what was important. Not being yeah, the only not being the only Australian Babylon 5 podcast. Not being the only Babylon 5 podcast where it's a married couple going over it, but being the only podcast entirely out of every podcast to have yum yum energy. And let's go over the fourth season now. We've teased it, we've gone to the point of making sure everyone knows how important we are, but how important was this fourth season to us going into it and coming out of it? With the history and relationship with the fourth season, I've talked about how growing up I got these on DVD and I just made my way through them. I had no clues about the the behind-the-scenes reasonings as to why this had such a monumental pace and that the episodes very much clicked into gear in being a serialized story more more succinctly than in previous years of the of the series but i loved it i've i've always loved season 4 it's not been my favorite i've usually liked season 3 a little bit more but season 4 has always taken me by surprise because for the time period that this came out the amount of just ongoing storylines and all killer no filler attitude here there's no fluff episodes really even the ones that will go over as the weaker entries are not bad episodes they're not throwaway junk no. episodes they're not gray 17 is missing they're not exogenesis they're not infection they're all very much building on top of one another and for a series from this time, especially in a, in the science fiction landscape, really unheard of. Uh, yeah. 
it, it is astonishing. You know what's also astonishing? I have your vows. And it's just yum yum written over and over and over again in blood. No, no. So at the end of our vows, we had three things. We we were like, you do. We wrote our vows separately. We had like a little bit of backstory, a little bit of like what we like about the person, um, and then three actual legitimate like vows. I promise to do the this thing, which we're bound by mm-hmm. by the Lord. Do you remember what your three were? To annoy you, to make you watch movies. Uh, and yum yum. No. Oh, and to not share orange juice with you. No, that wasn't that. That w- that was in both. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel and I, we don't share orange juice. She can't no. be trusted. She can't be trusted. She's no. she's what I, we call. I, I, I a need gulp. to have my own glass. She gulps. All right, who gulps? Somebody gulped. Look, we have got a long way to go. We're supposed to sip, not gulp. I didn't go. No, I sipped. You, I believe. And no. Garibaldi doesn't like that. No. So you promised to keep challenging and supporting me. Everyone, you hear that on the podcast every single episode. Even if you do want to drink my cup of orange juice when you could easily get your own. That that was part of the vow. Thank you. Um, uh, promise you will do your best to put a go- big goofy smile on my face. Every single episode, you can hear Rachel's big goofy smile that I put on that yeah. face. And three, uh, most importantly, this is the most brain, important. Um, was to show me the best, worst, and weirdest movies that you can. Okay, I'm going to phone up Paramount and tell them to make the Star Trek Discovery movie so that you can finally be satisfied. Like, you, you, you're doing two out of the three with the pod most of the time. So, like... I, I, you know what they say in the Bible? Two out of three ain't bad. Could you please <laughs> go over your history? My vows? No. Oh. We don't need to know your vows. They're too dirty for the pod. Um, <laughs> the look of disgust on your face is priceless. You're not meant to make me look disgusted. That wasn't one of That's a good look, though. That's a private vow that I make to you. Uh, oh, I thought that... Uh, anyway, anyway, anyway. What is your history with season four of B5? Yeah, I've always thought it was just okay. <laughs> of course I'm joking. I love season four. It's chaotic. It's messy. It's beautiful. It's exciting. It's innovative, as you pointed out. All of those good adjectives. And also some other stuff thrown in. And um, the phrase, fast forward. Is this? Like, the the show itself is on fast forward. You can't afford to miss a second. Oh, yes. 
it is breakneck pace and it is having to wrap up a bunch of things yep. in a short period of time. I just want to ask, uh, are some of those things, the more, I guess, negative connotation statements that you made, are those things that you have felt in the past about this season or these amplified now having to go through it week by week, analyzing it bit by bit? I have always felt them, but I feel them more because I have been forced to pace myself with it. Overall thoughts on season four now that we have revisited it, does it still hold all of those things close to your heart yeah. that it has, it has on those previous watches? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I have even more of an appreciation for the enormous undertaking of this season. Like, they fight and win two wars, and each of them feels heavy and like it carries a burden and a reality with it which is hard to do like it's hard to do any conflict justice in a sci-fi world where you have your good guys you have your bad guys and for it to feel like people are in danger and that this battle matters and that it's going to make a difference small term and it's going to make a difference in the idea of our small world and our bigger world and short term and long term but the conflicts that our characters are part of I I feel them like they are like they're burdens on me as well in a way because I'm so in it with the characters. I have a very fine appreciation for this fourth season and I've always had it but I walked in thinking that we were never going to give a bad rating to an episode. I genuinely thought, wow, we're going to have a season where every single episode is going to get a thumbs up from us. There's always been moments no in episodes. No. You know what I'm saying, the figurative thumbs up. Yum yum. But I I I I have I knew that there would be moments in episodes and certain beats of stories that I, I that that I didn't like and I still probably wouldn't or they would shake out different on the watch but yes the that was a surprise that there are some episodes that I just didn't care for and or didn't actively didn't like because in my recollection because this is such a a a, a giant tapestry being woven within the fourth season with very little strands hanging loose it just coalesces into one big event so when I look at season four in my brain, it's one big thing instead of those individual pieces like with the third season and the second and the first. It as giving I have a large amount of respect for season three from having viewed season four because mm. it it as a season was not afforded 
the ability to be as serialized heavily as this fourth yes. one, but it still managed to keep up the momentum that this one did yeah. without being as quick paced. Like yes. the, 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 the big swings emotionally, as well as the story beats of, oh, now we are fighting against this enemy and this reveal has happened and this mm-hmm. thing. But season four has more of those bombastic moments that draw your attention to it more. And it's concluding many things. Yeah, that, that that's a very important aspect of it as well. Like, you get that sense of, oh, oh, what are we going to do? We need to, We need to wrap up everything. But we can't wrap up everything. Yes. And why I say it also gives me a, a, a bigger respect for season three is that season more so than the fourth could fit in narrative and character be character moments within episodes and balance them better. While in the fourth season, the balance was a little bit more towards the narrative than the character stuff but the character stuff is still really strong and the final thing to say on general thoughts for this season and i, I want to get your take on on this as well it makes me really look at how modern shows with half the amount of episodes so 10 to 15 episode seasons how they that live and breathe and exist in the landscape where serialized storytelling is a given how they often fumble the ball and rush through their story. And yet this season that has double the length and ends two wars and does all those things that you say is still very fast and quick-paced, but I never feel like it loses its coherency like, say, Star Trek Discovery does in its first season, which had 15 episodes and wrapped up, introduced and wrapped up a war in it as well. It just made me look at how in the landscape that we look with TV today, there are shows that just really screw it up when it comes to the pacing of an ongoing story. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's... it's a tricky thing to try and achieve and like uh, like we've we've said this is a monstrous season <laughs> it's hard to do it is hard and it's just it's jms hard. on his own yeah and it's just like well like there's a lot of things that you, we especially just sort of forgive because it is JMS on his own and because we know uh, sort of the scope that he originally had and how much he wanted to try and do and now trying to get the things in that he really wants to get in. Yeah. I don't know how well I answered your question. He's in uncharted waters. In the mid-90s, this is not the status quo for screenplay writing in television. So he he doesn't necessarily have... A frame of reference. Mm -hmm. There is no frame of reference. There is 
keep writing episodes week to week reference points like he had with Murder She Wrote. But here it's keep an ongoing story and make it make sense. And you're the only writer and you're the only show really doing this at this point. Deep Space Nine, your competitor isn't doing this. Deep Space Nine will still have Ferengi episodes. Deep Space Nine will still have random detours into whatever it wants. And yet, people who write for series today have a whole slew of roadmaps and structures and blueprints of how to do this. Yet when JMS is doing it back in the mid mid to late 90s on his own, with his experiences as a writer coming from children's entertainment through to science fiction to now running his own show, he's figuring it out and we get to watch him figure it out. And the fact that season four is as tight as it is, even if it is too, too tight, is, is really it's, impressive. It's so tight, it is strained. The level of discomfort you experience will be entirely up to you. I'm not here to negotiate or to assist you. So we have a general flow of conversation that we have in our episodes and a special one for our season recaps. And even though we've been paced week to week, I still have trouble pulling out specific moments for this season. In terms of favourites? In terms of favourites and for worst. Like, I am very conscious that the ones that are coming to my mind aren't necessarily my genuine favourites. But recent? Recent and or we had good fun discussing them in the episode where they were so that they, they're standing out a little bit more. Uh, so I just sort of wanted to front load that bias because I still, like, even though we were paced out week to week, I'm like, uh, what episode was that in? I think that was <laughs> this one because it's just like this I have that problem with a lot of the seasons of stuff that we do for the pod of just seeing it as a big block rather than the individual units of the episode. Or the in- rather than seeing it as the individual episodes. If you were to ask me what were some of my favourite moments, Marcus and Ivanova on the White Star and him like saying you're the beautiful you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Oh, his his little bit of Minbari. Yeah. And the follow through on that is very nice yes. as well. Yeah, of course you would pick a Marcus and Ivanova scene. It's it's sequence. It's it makes sense that, that you love them. I I do, and that's one that really stood out to me, not only because I love them, but because I felt like I got a good amount of our di- from our discussion of those moments, but really the the first one in particular, and 
the way that it was shot and the way that it was performed and the um, sort of relief of those kind of moments Mm. of just slowing down a little bit that were really welcome throughout season four. One of my ongoing favourite things in this fourth season was Londo's horrified face seeing what he has unleashed into the world. So, Kataja, the sequence in particular where Kataja reveals in the first episode the magnitude of his insanity and that he wants to be a living god... What is the cost of a few million lives in comparison to that of becoming a living god? And Londo backing away out of the royal court and into the corridor is really high up there. Pretty much any Kataja moment is the best moment, especially in in that first episode, because you're coming back into season into Babylon 5, new season, and they set him up as the best antagonist the show has ever had in, yes. in an amount of three or four scenes. We have sung his praises so much. Yeah. But my personal favourite Kataja moment, the bloody hands and the pain technician. Oh, my God. The pain technician joke oh, it's is so, so fucking it's so good. good. Oh, they ever since they got organized, they're now pain technicians. And I, oh, it's it pain, it hurts him <laughs> to call them pain technicians, yeah. but he feels like he has, he has to. Like, oh, I probably uh, should show some respect. I don't uh, want to get canceled, but uh, <laughs> he, <laughs> uh, and when it comes to those, the, yeah. the, the, the first five or so episodes. Another moment that really stands out to me as a favorite is when we get Brian Cranston. Yeah. He, he 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 comes in to be the back half of the big Kataja episode where we kill Kataja and that for many people would overshadow anything else in it because in the long night we spend scene after scene after scene with Londo and Veer going after Kataja and making the plan work and then the plan spiraling out of control and then Kataja dying. It's a good amount of time we spend on it. Usually Babylon 5 ping-pongs from the plots. That one, it sat in it. But when we did move away, instead of replacing it with nothing, we got a really harrowing and sad and memorable story with Brian Cranston as just this ranger we meet in the singular episode. We meet him in, and then he's gone. And this isn't just because Brian Cranston is who he is now. As a young teenager who knew him for Seinfeld and and in part Malcolm in the Middle, I also felt the same way back then. That I I felt for Erickson. I I really did. And Sheridan at the end having to sit there and listen to Erickson's death is is really one of the the beats in season four that is letting you know that it's it's a darker season as well. Uh, any other kind of uh, favorite moments for you that that leap out? Fun moments or even dramatic moments, dark moments, anything? Drunk via answering the door. 
Oh, for, for Garibaldi when he was looking for Londo, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and just to see how much uh, the, the death of Kataja is still weighing on him and he's still processing that, uh, that's one that, that stands out for me. Sheridan's maniacal laughter when he figures out how to trick the league. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and rumors, bargains, and lies. Yeah, yeah, like he's just in the like off to the side in the cafeteria. Yeah, yeah. and they're all like, "You want to share with the group?" And they're all just there being chill, and he's just like, "I know what I gotta do." When he bangs the table yeah. and Jeff Conaway and Claudia Christian have just, these really funny reactions. Just Jeff's act losing the it. Shit out of the way Jeff's then. losing it and Claudia is reacting as if this is the scariest thing she's ever encountered in her entire yeah. life. Yep. Very, <sighs> very fun uh very fun moment. And of course. Of course. We have Woo-hoo. Uh, woo-hoo. Like, we can't not mention it, right? Lanier, as much as we don't like Dark Boy Lanier, he had some great funny beats in season four. We have to just say, Londo and Jakar get so much to do with each other in season four. Season three, they were apart because they were mortal enemies. We had them cross each other's paths from time to time, but we get so many scenes between just them. Fates are intertwined. And my my favorite was when Londo came to Jakar's quarters and he and he was trying to strike the deal to sign the treaty, and Jakar was just stonewalling him and rebuffing him. That conversation is one of the best written scenes and performed scenes, not just in the show, but between those two characters. It's always one of the ones I point to and say, that's why they're the best characters in the entire run of the series. Absolutely agree. An extension of that, though, one of my favorite moments of them in this season was in that same episode when Jakar goes up and says that he'll sign, but not on the same page. And my last favorite beat of season four that I I, I really want to mention, because I think it would be a a real shame to Mm -hmm. to skip over it, is Ivanova. We, this is the last season we get of her as a character. We'll have her in in the beginning, uh, in the movie. We'll have her in the series finale. But one of the scenes that I think about a lot when it comes to her character, and it's weird to put this as a favorite moment of the season because it is very sad, but her explaining to John why she needs to be on the fleet and that she has issues of trust when it comes to people saying they'll come back for her because of her mother killing herself and the story about the how that came to be and the last time Ivanova interacted with her mother. And it's something that could easily be 
lost in the shuffle of the season because there's so much here. But that scene is just really well acted and it is just JMS coming in with a dirty blade and stabbing you with it to remind you that Ivanova, as fun as she can be, she's an inherently tragic character and I just never forget it. It's just one of those things where we knew about her mother from the first episode. But this series always finds a a new way of reintroducing information and making it new again, giving it something more, adding to it rather than subtracting from it or just stating it again for the sake of doing so. Whenever someone has told me that they would wait for me, or come for me. It hasn't come true. I can't do that anymore, John. Unless I'm sure. Let's talk about the things that didn't work for us. Less good stuff. The things that made us roll hey. our eyes, perhaps even groan, or there even was, yell. There was no exogenesis. So. It can't be that bad then. What were some of your least favorite moments? When you're looking at season four, it's hard to pin it down because it is so gargantuan in scope and size. But were there things that just didn't work for you? You know when you have it like at the the edges of your memory, it's just like so much good happens in this season that the bad does kind of get pushed to the sides a little bit like... You know, there are um, plenty of jokes that do not land well. Jakar's eye is looking at you when you say that. We put it on the table here, didn't you notice? It's right there in the centre of the table. There's nothing else there. You told me that was because you wanted to start doing video recordings well. Yes, yes, that's why, wink. I can't wink. There's no lid for it to wink, but I did. I winked. So what have you got now that we are going through it and looking back at season four? It is that thing. It's very difficult because, like I said, walking in, I didn't think we would have an episode that we didn't like, but there are moments that have always stood out for both of us. So what stands out now? Okay, like, this is a a good and a bad one. The Bimari sex ritual. You just gave it the woohoo as your favorite, one of your favorite things. Now, now you're coming around. It's weird. It's weird that they have a ritual where people make sure that they don't go too far. Like, it's weird. It's weird. Like, it's not a it's bad kind of moment. It's just, like, I just need to... It's the one that came to mind and my mind got stuck on it, okay? It... Okay? No, it's not okay. How could you? <sighs> I was looking over previous notes and... I nodded along going, oh, yeah, I didn't like that, and I didn't like that. But to go on gut alone, what has lingered with me as a thing that I just revile? And it's Garibaldi in season four, but not because of his programming, but 
it's when they try to humanize him in these very superficial ways. Oh, he saved a little girl, and now they're reunited, and he gives a smile. Things like that are just too hokey for me, but the obvious statement to be made is Lise Hampton exists in season four, and it's always sad that she's here because JMS rarely writes material for her that is deep. It's always shallow. It's always surface level. The final time we see her in the season is Garibaldi saving her because she's a damsel in distress who needs to be saved, and she rewards him with sex. And it's really lame. It's really lame stuff. I just don't enjoy Lise Hampton's moments, but a specific one that really gets under my skin is when Garibaldi blows up at her for having moved on since Franz, and she doesn't defend her points at all in that episode. She doesn't in another one, but in that one, she has no leg to stand on that make that she should have. She goes over some points, but she never brings up why she didn't talk to Michael again and the fact that they were under martial law. She doesn't go over it in in that particular one. And I just, I grind my teeth when I watch scenes of Lise not being real. Instead, it's being withheld because JMS doesn't really want to write heady material for that character. She's just there for Garibaldi to Garibaldi to pine a prize. after, yeah, a prize to get, and so that's one of my least favorite things. The other is the worst line JMS ever wrote, which was to that one security guard who let Garibaldi and the gang in to grab Sheridan because oh, if it was anyone but you, Mister Garibaldi, I wouldn't trust you, but I'll let you in because I'm stupid. That that line is fucking atrocious. It makes me angry that we already had a clever plan. We had it explained to us, not only via the planning stage, but the, the rest of the story had made it very clear that everyone on Earth likes Garibaldi, uh, and so him walking around would obviously gain him some notoriety that would not be afforded to Franklin or Lita. But to actually have a character verbalize it out loud in the most, bla- like in the most insulting way, fuck me, that was just rough, real rough. It's weird because I, I can't. I know that there are many other moments that gave me a like a guttural reaction of disdain. But I can't remember any right now. Not left court? <sighs> Sheridan's old mentor that they sent in to stop Sheridan because he knows how he thinks. Yeah, that was dumb. Uh, like the, There were plenty of dumb moments to be had in this season. But I, I am already at the point where it's just like... No, I'll gloss over it. I'll forgive it. From anybody but you, well, 
Okay, going in. But you have to check with the cell guards. They have final authority over visitors. Often heralded as Babylon 5 at its best. Peak Babylon 5. Peak Babylon 5 means that it has an abundance of great episodes to choose from uh, uh, for the best. I just want to rattle off some that I like a lot or enjoy a lot, but I chose one specifically as my favorite. I, I had to hold myself so accountable as one as a specific favorite. We're hearing runners up first. Yeah, here, here are ones that I, I liked. Intersections in real time Absolutely. is spectacular, monumental. The performances and the direction is top tier. Another one that I really, really liked was The Long Night, the assassination of Emperor Kataja. We not only get that, but uh, the conversation with Veer after having killed the Emperor is the thing that makes Babylon 5 special. They go that extra distance with their material. Oh, Veer killed the Emperor. That's a good, good enough twist on the formula. But then... No, he feels remorse, he feels guilt, he feels disgust in himself for having taken a life. Let's explore that. Brilliant. And the other one that's a runner-up, another one that I really enjoyed was Moments of Transition, the final Naroon episode. That had a smorgasbord of things I love, we had Lita, we had Besta, we had Zack, we have Naroon. But my favourite is actually one that I'm surprised by, because it's not one that I think leaps to mind for most people, but it kept hovering around like a spectre, like a ghost for me during the season, which is Epiphanies. Do you remember Epiphanies by any chance, Rachel? Just the title alone? That's during the Shadow War, right? Or just after the Shadow War? It is the episode where we have de- where we have now defeated the Shadows. We're having a party about it at the beginning. Oh, Earth preparing to fuck up Babylon 5? The episode is the follow-up to Into the Fire where we have now defeated the Shadows. So what do you do? It has Bester coming in and he is double crossing and double crossing because Earth wants to shut down Babylon 5 and ruin their reputation but Bester has his own plan so he's going to use Babylon 5 for his own means because he wants to go back to Zaha Doom and get technology to save his girlfriend and Lita fucks it up and Lita fucks it up for him we have Garibaldi quitting his job that back and forth he has with Zack about taking a chance, hiring him, and he was right about that. Everyone told Garibaldi that Zack would be inappropriate for the job, that you can't trust him, he's a fuck-up, it's a mistake. But in the end, he was right to choose Zack, so why can't he be right about quitting his job and exploring something new? One of the great conversations that Garibaldi has in the season that helps solidify why his weirdness has 
an internal logic that we, the audience, can follow because he does make compelling and 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 very well thought out points at times, and that was one of them. But we get a lot of Lita action in the episode. You just love Lita more and more. I love Lita a lot, and she gets dressed down by Sheridan, which is just one of these scenes, again, where Babylon 5 goes the extra mile. He comes in and he's not afraid to be an asshole to her, to tell her straight up that if you step out of line again, I'm going to hand you over to the Psychor and have you dissected. You obey me. Yeah. Don't you think that you're more powerful yeah. and in charge just because you have godlike powers? Fuck you, Lita. And it's I really have ups- you on a leash. I have you on a leash, and it's really upsetting. But it's a great dynamic for the character of Lita to think that her having done so much means that she has the has, leeway it hasn't to do what she her anything. It hasn't earned her, and she realizes, oh, I haven't, I haven't got anything to my name. I'm just now getting a bed. I'm just now getting possessions. And here comes the lead of the show to walk into my quarters to tell me to go fuck myself. It's not the most explosive episode of Babylon 5, but what I really appreciated about it overall was it was a quiet affair. In amongst all of the loud, bombastic memorable episodes and scenes, here we have Epiphanies just quietly building the foundation for where we're going to be going next. We also have Regent Verini. He becomes Regent and he says the famous, I'm thinking pastels. So Epiphanies is my choice. What about you? What What are your favorite episodes in season four? It's hard. I like a lot of the same ones that you listed off like epiphanies was high up on my list and then there were like i kind of got more caught up being like oh yeah like that that episode's good but it's elevated by the rest of the season like i was thinking about the illusion of truth and how that episode on its own isn't as good as it in context. It affects a lot of the season going forward. Same with Atonement, which is the episode after. Um, Where we learn about Delenn's past. Yep. Um, And I like like the Mimbari mythos being built out a little bit again. And then it makes the stuff with Naroon in... Rumors, bargains, and lies in me- moments of transition, all the more impactful. Okay, I am. I'm. I'm tossing up. I'm tossing up between two, and I'm. I'm having a lot of trouble deciding. The first one that I want to bring up is "No Surrender, No Retreat." The title of the season. It's a kick-ass episode. Uh, and the other one is intersections in real time. Both of them 
are really strong episodes and doing very different things. I like I really enjoy how daring intersections in real time is. And I think it really pays off. There's a lot of stuff packed into those moments and the way that it's edited is beautiful. Like it elevates the concept. Like everything in that episode is working together to make it better. But then, like, no surrender, no retreat. Like it's the name of the season for a reason. Like we, we've got all of these different players doing their thing and we're ramping back up again when, like, we know what to expect, but it's still just so bam, 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 even within that episode. You've been wanting for four seasons, like, since the beginning of the series, for our characters to make a, a definitive stand against Earth. And we've had those big tentpole moments, but they haven't really duked it out since Babylon 5 broke away from Earth. And No Surrender, No Retreat is B5 taking the first punch instead. They they see these atrocities and say, no more. And No Surrender, No Retreat has that catharsis and intersections in real time. I mean, what what's what's one of your favorite beats of that? Because with No Surrender, No Retreat, it's really about that guttural "fuck yeah," where we're taking it back to the you know back to the corrupt Earth offices, and we're going to shoot their ships. But with intersections in real time, I, I just want to know from you a little bit: what's something specific about that one that just hits home for you. I I'm I'm gonna cheat a little bit, um, and go with one that you pointed out more so, and you made some social media posts uh, with this image as well. But him looking through his glasses and the shadow on his face and the way that he does that. The interrogator, yeah. The the original interrogator. Um and the the pattern that being part of the pattern and the cycle that he does like each time he comes in. Um and the way that they frame it and shoot it and light it. I like it's just a really striking image. And another moment that stands out, and it's it's weird, it's weird to try and explain because it's like Sheridan's being tortured, but there's this really amazing moment. Oh yeah, there are people who have said to us that they can't rewatch it because it's too oppressive. It's too, it's just too much to handle. Personally, we're the type of viewers who who gobble those episodes up in a, in a series that doesn't have an abundance of those. I, I... I have no control over what will happen next. 
it's out of my hands. There's highs and then there's lows. And the lows of season four aren't as low as the previous ones. There is no TKO in season four. So it's harder to pick one out and say, this is the clear bad one. And you, the people listening, clap your hands and go, of course, that's the bad one. Of course, that's the bad one. We all have seen Grey 17 is missing. It has a Zarg. That's stupid. Season four is too laser beam focused to go off the rails in such a way. So I had a really difficult time choosing a worst episode. And I was looking over the plot lines of each one of them to really make sure, because my gut answer is just to say, oh, it was a Garibaldi one, because we really found the specific Garibaldi ones to be a little bit more dull. And I I was looking at them, and my least favorite is a Garibaldi episode. Conflicts it has of to, interest? It has to be conflicts of interest. That's mine as well. It wastes so much potential. It's just like, we're here, we're doing this, this is what we're doing. It minorly helps bring in the Edgar's story stuff forward. Garibaldi has the antidote to the virus given to him, and he must defend it against telepaths who are clearly on the trail of it. But far out, it is just a boring episode. Lisa's here and doesn't add much. Garibaldi is a... Guy on the run with a gun. And it's just like we 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 get Zathras, but that's that that's what we get. That's the highlight. Is a four minute scene of Zathras. There's sprinklings of good stuff in there. Franklin and Ivanova have some fun at the beginning, but and it's starting up the voice of the resistance. But my big mark against it is the continuing failure of following through on the promise that is Garibaldi must go up against his own men and survive. He was the head of security, now he's on the run. Each time we've been told that's going to be a story in Babylon 5, it's really amounted to nothing. Yeah, like, they've done it a multitude of times and it really isn't it isn't great and like it's kind of even more frustrating when you're like soon after in the context of like the earth civil war because obviously we have more investment in that than the minbari civil war which also happens um but that idea of going up against your own. And the Garibaldi stuff is a a smaller version of that. But you would think in an ideal world that would make it more interesting. And then they don't even bother doing that same thing with Sheridan. Like the Agamemnon just... Is on his side. Is on his side. And it's a real shame with conflicts of interest because the title says it all, conflicts of interest. Zach Allen should have been 
the more central lead of the episode, him and Garibaldi, but Zack just, just, just goes away, and it, it could have been such a great tale for him becoming disillusioned when it comes to Garibaldi. There's a point in season four, we didn't discuss this, but it, it's a really subtle thing, but there comes a point where he's lost so much respect for Garibaldi that he does stop calling him chief after a point and never calls him chief again. And in a way that's Zack accepting his role as the new yeah. chief. He can't call him chief because he's chief now. But but conflicts of interest should be a big turning point for Zack. And on paper it is, but when you watch the episode, it just doesn't hit doesn't click. hard. Yeah. Favorite characters. Lise, of course. Moving on. Least favorite characters. Lise, of course. All right, moving on. <laughs> Who was your favorite character in season four? Or was it too hard to separate them all? Oh, like you don't know what I'm going to say. Okay, everyone. No more games. This is real now. Rachel's favorite character was not Marcus, because Rachel said she didn't like him as much on this watch. But your favorite character is, in fact, Edgar's. You loved Edgar's. You thought he was really charismatic and smart and that his racist, jargon, <sighs> eugenics, freaky, he, exterminate them. He's a humanitarian. You, and a capitalist. But believe it or not, Babylon 5 is never commenting on capitalist, according to some angry uh, commenters. We live in the Marxist capital of Australia. Who is your favorite character in all, <laughs> in all realism? That was a joke. Rachel's favorite character is not Edgar's, it's Wade. Edgar's right-hand man. Joking aside, on this particular watch-through, it was still Marcus. Because <laughs> he's gone now, and I'm not okay with it still. And, uh, like, Avodafa's my second... <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Outside of just, he's gone now, and so it makes his presence within the season feel more. They really figured out how he worked best. It took them a while, but him being paired up with Lanier, even more importantly, him being paired up with Franklin is some of my favourite stuff in the whole show. He is such a dynamic character when you pair him up with someone. Marcus and Jason He's the Car best ranger. He's the best ranger. Marcus slash Jason Carter is really good at bouncing off of and helping ground other people. When they did it in season three, they were mainly having him be on his own little thing or annoy a Vonover. And that had its charm. And we saw glimpses of what we see now more fully with Franklin and Lanier. But 
What about him and Jakar? That was fun. That was a singular episode, but that was really a good time. And how even Jakar had that look of, oh, this guy's annoying. He didn't realize who this guy was really to begin with. and But now he knows he's annoying. What was your favorite Marcus moment? What's the thing that you'll look back on when it comes to him in the season? Uh, I, I I get why people hate it, but I I am slightly ashamed. Is this? You shouldn't be. How how do you know that I shouldn't? Be? Because your lead up is so coy that it has to be when he sings. It's what he's. <laughs> It is when he sings over modern nature in general. When he sings what, sorry? <laughs> when he sings When he sings what? <laughs> I'm I'm fulfilling one of my vows right now. When he sings what? <laughs> Rachel, I can't understand you. I don't speak my vows. I just live them. When he sings I am <laughs> When he sings I am I am what? When he sings, I am fulfilling Ryan's <laughs> vow. Make Rachel have a big goofy smile. The model. <laughs> model. We're almost getting there. What's next? Over. Over. Over what, sorry? That one got lost. Modern. Modern. Major. Major. <laughs> I, that, one was, that one was a little rough. What was it? <laughs> What's general, his... general, general, general. Oh, general, 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 general. Is he related to Major, Major, Major? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I got it. Oink. <laughs> That's my fourth vow. <laughs> I'm adding that one now. I am the very model of a modern major general. I've information, vegetable, animal, and mineral. I know the kings of England, and I quote the facts historical, from Marathon to Waterloo in order categorical. I am very well acquainted, too, with matters mathematical. I understand equations, both the simple and quadratical. About binomial theorem, I'm teeming with a lot of news. With many cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. With many cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. Many cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. Many cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. I'm very well acquainted to it. What? Who do you think my favorite character in the fourth season is? Edgar's, right? Oh, I love Edgar's, but you're wrong. Incorrect. It's Wade? No, no, no. Mm -mm. No. No, Mm -mm. it's emo boy Lanier. Yeah, incel Lanier is not in my list of favorite characters. Is it Londo? It's not Londo. Now, take a real guess. What is your genuine guess of who my favourite character in season four was? Yeah, we didn't get the soul hunters. We got them mentioned in Atonement. Um, yeah, we, we got to see the little ships flying around, but we, we didn't get a archive footage of the soul hunter standing on his ship going, Soon. Soon. Muffled. <laughs> Closer now. Oh, boy. I'll give you a a clue. Her name starts with L. Nobody is coming to mind. I'm really bad at this. 
Come on, Rachel, we've talked about her already. Who is a character in Babylon 5 whose name starts with L? Oh, oh, I thought you were saying like it sound like like the like L is this like E L. That's what threw me off because I was about to say Lita and then it was just like with the whose name starts with E L? Is English a first language? (laughs) (laughs) I would understand if this was the German podcast. Shut up! No, my favourite character is Lise, actually. Her name starts with L. But in all realism... It's Lita. It's Lita, baby. Lita. Can you imagine... Can you imagine not liking... Can you imagine not liking Lita? Can you imagine not liking her? She's the fucking best. She's... Fucking next season. She ended two wars in this season and they still treat her like garbage. They still if, treat her like if crap. If took her to Minbar, she, she would have finished that war too, but she was a little too busy begging for money because her fucking friends won't let her live in her quarters without trying to drain her of funds because, you know, capitalism exists in the world of B5. It's a world that still runs on money and profit. But hey, if I say that... Lita was let down because of the constraints of capitalism. People get mad about that, but it's true. Lita is great. I love Lita. She's she's just a character who grows more and more on me with every single viewing. When I first went over the series, I thought she was fine. I liked her better than Talia, but that didn't mean much. But... Lita gets treated like garbage, and it makes me feel so endeared to her, because even through being used and abused by the Vorlons, by the humans, by the Psychor, she still is a strong-willed character. She still has integrity, she still has the ability to stand back up and fight another day. And she is humiliated throughout the season. She's swallowing back tears as she puts on her Psychor uniform again. I feel for her, but I know that although she's trapped now in the moment, she'll find a way to stand back up again. Sadly, it will be to stand back up again and then put her foot in another bear trap because Lita, it's almost like JMS has a, has a rule of thumb. Lita can never be happy. She must always be sad. But I, I just, I eat that up. On a dramatic level, I eat it up. And she just gets some of the best badass moments in the show as well. Stopping the shadow ships with her brain and sending blowing up sig- Zaha Doom, Z- blowing up Zaha Doom, and telling Bester to go fuck himself, and the classic, oh, oh, I can sense them, Sheridan. Oh, I can sense them. They're pissed. Ooh, ooh, Lita, fun character, real fun. We were really spoiled for choice when it came to spotlight actors for this season and like Ken does leap out uh, or, or as Kelso as we call him oh, 
Yes, 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 yes. Ken Jenkins. Ken Jenkins. Yeah, that's a good one. He was fun. Yeah, and he was perfect for what he needed to be. He was the slimiest, meanest, gross little worm Earth Force captain or Earth Force adversary we met in the fourth season. I I wish that we got someone even more shitty than him. Than the dickhead in Endgame. Left Court, your favorite character. (laughs) Never forget Rachel's favorite character, Left Court, who we'll see again in, in the beginning. So your favorite was Ken Jenkins? I that's my runner up, but Ah, uh, thank you. A person that I really liked learning more about was Robert Krimmer slash Wortham Krimmer, who played Kataja. Yeah, that that was a fun journey. What was really rewarding about looking at his performance was seeing not only the genuine joy he had at playing this mad emperor, but the details he put in there. It was the little nuances of insanity hidden within the big. The person that I had as my favorite spotlight actor, someone that I I can't wait to see again, is... The actor who played Dukat, Reiner Shona. Mm. He had the biggest hurdle to jump over, which is to live up to the hype of a character that's been told to us since the beginning of the show. We have heard about Dukat, 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 Dukat. I didn't even think we we're going to meet him at any point. But once you present, him as a character that we will get to spend time with, then we, the audience, put so much onto whoever it is going to play the role, as well as how it's written. And he not only stepped up to the plate and and knocked it out of the park, but he goes beyond what I thought the character of Ducat was going to be. He makes him so charming and so fun and gives us a different way to see a Minbari be played. He was mischievous and kind of... He had a, a little bit of a snarky streak and he felt like an older mentor. He came across as a political wheeler and dealer, but somebody who genuinely cared. I, I think the the performance behind it was really warm and comforting and he he was just somebody I also loved learning about. He has a very prolific career in Germany. He has a lot of voiceover work. He's he 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 he's still acting, he's still around, he he sings songs. He was on a German techno beat trap record song thing a little while ago that I love listening to. So he was my top actor that we looked at. I, I just really appreciated his performance and what we got to what we got to learn about him. How dare you not pick Donovan Scott? 
Oh, Captain Jack. <laughs> Look, if we had a least favorite spotlight actor, <laughs> but we don't because we're nice. He gave the worst performance. He's <laughs> awful. He was. He's a fun guy in real life. He's given good performances as Santa Claus and many other things, but and that accent. I think our favorite discussion in terms of spotlight was Jeff Griggs, right? Ah, <sighs> Dan Randall himself. What? What a man! So, if you're really serious about this, why don't you um, take off your clothes and we'll get started? You pick Ducat. I pick Noreen. Oh, We're good. Good fans of the Minbari guest spots this season. So if we had a third host, would they have picked the guy who played Pharrell? The the doofus that teamed up with the Druck, which is card spelled backwards. Oh, said backwards or whatever that annoying trivia fact you told me was that I'm trying to block out of my brain. <laughs> Well, apparently not, because you're trying to recall it now. And it won't recall because I'm blocking it. John Vickery played Naroon. Mm-hmm. He was perfect. He was amazing as Naroon. I, like, I, I'm biased, but, like, he, his voice. His voice. Dylan. His voice. He played Scar on Broadway. He originated the role of Scar in The Lion King on Broadway. Legendary. Legendary. We have sung his praises since the first season, but since this is his last time round in Babylon 5, he will be back in Crusade as Mr. Wells. It makes sense that you would say him, because also he gives one of the best performances. Yeah. In the fourth season. But, yeah, Duke Hart is almost as amazing. And that's that that's high praises since he's, he's not there as much. He's as, in one episode. Yeah, like he's not there as much as Naroon is. Season four. A real roller coaster ride. Yep. But it is that time to... Look at it and say, what was the yum-yum moment? What was the moment well, of the season? you already said the worst line in the season, so... So it can't be that. That was a great moment of terribleness. But yum-yum, what was the particularly strange or or bizarre, abstract, just catches you off guard where you just stagger back and go, what was that? Um, can I just say basically any line from the Zathras Ivanova scene? Okay, Rachel, you're nominating that? Like, I feel like that whole scene gives the sort of yum-yum vibes that you're after. I have to keep picking on Between the Darkness and the Light because that episode not only had the worst line ever spoken in Babylon 5 by the guard, but then the guard that's inside the room 
Oh, the TV line. That is, he might as well have licked his lips and said yum yum because Garibaldi asked him a normal question. He would have preferred that. He asked him a normal question in the context of a narrative and the guy replied with the most bizarro, weird, freaky thing ever, which is this whole monologue about, I don't watch TV, it's a cultural wasteland created by the elitist liberals to tell me how to feel. And obviously that's JMS just having a little bit of fun and making a bit of commentary on probably the statements people have thrown at he, what what he writes. But the review he saw at one point. Oh my god. It was, that was yum yum in a nutshell. Hey, normal question. Hey, fucking where did that come from answer yeah that yeah or Jakar taking his eye out to look at two of his friends fuck Christ I didn't write it I didn't do it it was JMS blame him but the only writer we have in the room is Larry Many ideas were tackled. Many ideas were overcome as well. We concluded and wrapped up a lot. Yep. It was a very, very intense journey that we went on during the course of season four. What was an arc or a theme that was rippling through the season that you gravitated towards? Ivanova's trauma and her grappling with the impact that that has on her relationships in the past, the present, and the future. That's something that I really um, found rewarding to witness threaded throughout the season. Um, That's the one that comes to mind first. What about you? I really kept coming back to Garibaldi's season-long arc of what happened to him, what's really going on inside of that head, And Mm. knowing why he is acting the way he is acting really recolors a lot of the choices made from the performance, in the direction, and in the script. And I've never been the biggest lover of it in the past. I've liked it. There have been times where I've found it boring on the rewatch because, oh, we know where this goes, and now we have to wait several, several episodes for it to finally come around, but giving it a proper look and analysis, it it really was a lot more impactful to me. I I felt a lot of emotions about it, not just stroking my chin thinking about what JMS has laid down here for the character and, oh, isn't it ever so clever that... It's not that he's brainwashed, but they've just cranked up his worst aspects and left that to run. That is obviously there, but to actually look at Garibaldi, a character that I don't love. I find him to be one of the weaker players of the story. But to look upon him as a man who has been stripped 
of the ability to have character development and growth and feel awful. Just just awful for the men. The mirror, the, the shot of the mirror where he draws the neutral slash sad face is how I associate him in season four. He's a man that with nothing there, but he's also trapped. Tra- yeah, and parts of him and trying to reach out and then the manipulated part of him squashes it and that scene really epitomizes that but i i i fully understand where you're coming from i just like i just had too many moments where i was still just like nope just move on just move on don't care Oh, he saved a kid. He's less of an asshole now. But he refuses to give over his guns. So he's still a prick. He has a security card that he shouldn't have. Well, Zach was too nice to take it off of him. Or to check if he had a duplicate. Mm. What was uh, the thing that changed the most about season four? I... I... (laughs) This is a little bit of a cop out, but being forced to savor it changed a lot of it. Like the fact that there were mo- moments, there were episodes that we didn't like, and sitting in that and having to explain that really like changed my perspective on some things and then others like Avonova's journey in particular I also feel different about now that I am a bit older like I connect to it in different ways because of the experiences that I've had in my own life since we watched it the last time. We keep harping on about how quick the season goes by, how it's fast-forwarding and it is rushing and the pace is too quick. And that is a belief and a viewpoint on the fourth season that is not unique. But a thing that really took me by surprise is how that can exist, but also be countered with many dips in pacing where In the middle of the season, we had, and this isn't even talking about the quality of the episodes, but just rather the existence of many slower-paced episodes that were just building up the groundwork for future ones to come, as well as touch base with our characters. We are just taking a casual walk. So I think that took me by surprise how... We can go over how the fourth season is too quick and doesn't always come back to focusing on characters, but then you can point to how, well, what about these five or six episodes in a row that do exactly that, where it slows down and focuses on the character and put uh, characters and puts the narrative on the back burner? It's, it's really interesting how it is there, but you still you still feel the foot being put on the pedal 
because the end of the season is so go, go, go until it isn't anymore. And now it is, let's just quietly wrap things together in a little bow and tell us how the sun explodes. This is how the world ends. Swallowed in fire, but not in darkness. You will live on. The voice of all our ancestors, the voice of our fathers and our mothers to the last generation. We created the world we think you would have wished for us. And now we leave the cradle for the last time. Where would you rank it? Season four. I still feel like my feelings on it overall are in flux a bit because it is so universally praised as being the best season. But I struggled because I really, really enjoyed season three. And I'm like, which one was more yum yum? And like, I'm going to go with the easy answer and stick with four is still, I think, the best. Is it my favorite? That's a different answer. That's a different question, at least. You? Hmm. I would rank it three, four, two, one. Yep. I like season four, but I love season three. I, even in spite of the fact that it has my least favorite episode of the entire series, Exogenesis, in it, mm-hmm. it also has. And the rock cried out, no hiding place. Oh, gosh. Interludes and examination. It has so many. But season four, it's a close, it's a close thing. Yeah. It's a close, close thing. But maybe it's also because season four just does have an, a more oppressive tone to it. It has mm. those wacky, funny things that many but people love and we make three fun has of. more. Season 3 just has a a more friendly vibe to it. The colours are just so vibrant. We get an episode about Veer. Love Veer. And in Season 4, we we get a lot of episodes about, like, the horrors of war, which is good. That is good to have, and I enjoy it, and so it's my second favourite. But is it as good as they say? I think it is. Yeah. This is prime Babylon 5. Yes. Even though it's my second favorite season, I think this is what it wanted to yep. be, which is to tell an ongoing story one episode after the other, not to have Warren Keffer take up screen time or not to go through the slow burn that is the first season. Because you, I mean... That is fun, building up your world and your pieces, and I'm sure JMS loves that aspect of writing, but this guy had this thing mapped out and had it all story planned. It must have just been a delirious amount of happiness to just rip into it like he did in the fourth season and have... No compromises doing it. Just one episode after the other just keeps going. Really good stuff. Would you rate it a yum or a yum yum? 
Yum yum. Yum yum. I think we we we've done enough to justify that rating between this episode and our coverage of each episode within the season. I don't think anybody can be short of reasons why I find this season yum yum. I give season four of Babylon 5 a yum yum. Yum yum. Obviously, this is a great season. This is not only just a great season of this series, but it's a great season of television. It slaps. It, it, it's it's unapologetic in not only telling its story, but its themes and how it wants to explore them. Season four, you walk away from out of all of them knowing exactly what the messages are that the entire series has one has been wanting to communicate to you, the viewer. And so I definitely give it the seal of approval, the thumbs up, the yum yum. So that is all we have for you when it comes to our discussion of season four. We will be back in a little while. We like to take a two-week break in between the seasons to refresh, recharge, reflect, and get excited to get into more of this series. But it doesn't mean that there's much of a break in terms of content from us for you, the Yumlings. We will release some material on the main feed as... We have our discussions about space above and beyond that have already had a few episodes out, but if you have not uh, listened to them, you should, and you should watch Space Above and Beyond as well if you haven't seen it before, so you can listen to our discussions on it as well. But But if that isn't enough, if that does not satisfy your craving for Yum Yum, you should hit up our Patreon. That's where Space Above and Beyond content came from, and there is so, so, so much more. We will be back to come into the fifth season by starting out talking over the TV movie in the beginning. The year is 2245. Ambassadors from a hundred worlds use Earth as a pawn in alien war games. Humans were warned to stay close to home. They didn't listen. Uh, Thank you all so much for tuning in and for listening to us. Would love to know your opinions on Season 4. What are the high points for you? What are the low points? Favorite moments, characters, episodes... What didn't work for you? What was your least favorite episode? What was the thing that you just can't abide by? Let us know. We're on social medias under Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. You could email us directly to let us know. Yumyumpod at gmail.com. Rate and review us on whatever podcasting site you use, as well as subscribe and follow to us, uh, follow us. We are on all of them and YouTube as well. So make sure that you're following along with the pod. Jakar did not get our favorite character of the season. No, no. And we only really talked about him in relationship to his friendship 
with Londo. We didn't even talk about his spiritual journey much. And him getting his planet free. We talked about the eye. It was mainly about him being a creep. Oh, and, and, and a pervert, which is how he started in The Gathering. Going back. Going back. When he would tower over the small, tiny, 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 microscopic Takashima and smack his chest and say what, Rachel? Thud. It's got to be a thud. It's not just a smack, it's a thud. And he says, good eating to you. Good eating to you! 